And really, this is something I think for us as Christians, we really need to, to have, not only as individuals, but as a church. Because our focus lately has been, going, uh, it's been about going deeper with God. And the thing is, is if we want to go deeper with God, we've got to make sure that we are dealing with the sin in our lives. Because if we don't, that is going to be a massive blockage to us. And we could do all the other things that you can do to go deep with God. You can spend hours each morning praying and reading your Bible. You can go to all the meetings. You can come, pour your heart out in worship. And you can go and fast and, and read lots of Christian books. But if you've got sin that God wants you to deal with and you're not repenting over, then I'm afraid it's all for nothing. You're going to struggle. You're really going to, um, it's going to be a blockage between you and God. And God wants us to come and to, for us to come and deal with it. And the thing is as well, is that you might be in a place where you think, I'm, I'm doing fairly well at the moment. God's, God's working in me. But we never get to the places where it's complete. Because as we go deeper with God, we find, because what is God like? It said God, in, in 1 John it says, God is light. And the thing is, as we go on with, go on with him, his light will shine more and more upon our lives. And what happens when light comes into the darkness? It reveals things. And so never think that as a Christian, whether you've been a Christian for 50, 60 years, that that's it, God's, he's, he's almost, you're complete, you're, you're all ready, you're not. God's always going to be keep revealing things. But it's about, and the challenge for us is what is our heart like? Do we have a repentant heart or are we kind of, do we start to, to get proud or do we start to think we've made it? And that is a challenge for us this morning, to ask ourselves, do we have a repentant heart? And what I'm going to do, I'm going to go through uh, the, a chapter in the book of Ezra, which is uh, a book we probably don't often look at very much. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to go through just one chapter of his prayer of repentance uh, and look at how that can apply to us and the example of him and his prayer. Uh, and then at the, end of this, at the end of this morning, we're going to have a time of response, just a short time, where if you, if you know that God has been speaking to you and you need to deal with something, there'll be that opportunity at the end. Now, before we get going to that, I just want to um, give a couple of definitions, because I think it's very easy in church to start talking about things, and we kind of get a little bit confused about what, what we're talking about here and what are the differences between different words. And the first word I want to just define for this morning is sin. Now, this is a massive word and a massive subject. But I kind of wanted to sum it up briefly by saying that sin is going against God and his will for our lives. And it's so easy for us to think of sins um, as being these big things, like going out and murdering somebody, robbing a bank, going to have lots of affairs, going out and get um, massively drunk and doing lots of stupid things. And we can sometimes forget, certainly for us who know uh, who have been Christian for a long time, we for can forget what actually sin can be in our lives. And because I know for me that I don't really have much desire to go out and rob a bank. But what I do struggle with is some of the thoughts I have, some of the worries that I, I think on, some of my pride, um, my attitude, my hardness of heart, my, my lack of, of love and, and care for people sometimes, and my, my family. You talk, we're talking about fathers and how rubbish us fathers could be sometimes. I mean, I, I shout at my kids, I get angry with them. And it's so easy, I think, for us, some of us maturer Christians, to think, oh, well, I don't do any of those big sins. I mean, we forget all about the little sins that we, have to, we struggle with. And I think, as this morning, as we're talking about repentant heart, I want to kind of, for you to think about what are the things that you struggle with? What are the things that God has asked you to deal with or wants to come and deal with you in your life? 
And the next word is confession. Now, all this word means is that you are admitting that you have done something. That's all that word is. And generally, it's, it has a lot of negative connotations. So, i.e., you're admitting that you have done something wrong. So, if you get, uh, if you do something bad, like rob a bank, and you have to go before a judge, and you might sit there and confess that you did it. It was, it was, it was you that robbed the bank. That's all, that's all confession is. There's nothing more. But, of course, the word repentance goes much bigger. It's not just about saying you've done something. It's about regretting that you've done it. It's about being sor- sorrowful, i.e. being sorry for what, you, what, you, what you've done and wishing that you hadn't done it. But it goes more than that. It's not just thinking, oh, this is really bad. I wish I hadn't done that. It's about repentance leads to a change. It means that you think, pants, I wish I hadn't done that. And I, I don't want to do it again. I want to be, be different. I want to change. And that's what God wants from us when he talks when. When I'm talking this morning about having a repentant heart, it wants us to be people who want to make a change in our lives. Now, if you turn with me to the book of Ezra, now, if you don't know where it is, it's about just over a third of the way through the Bible. But if you look for Psalms, and then you kind of go back a couple of, back a couple of books. But I've got the scriptures on the screen. And we're going to go to Ezra chapter 9. But before we go into this, I appreciate that... because. Um, we don't look at Ezra very much. You might not know what the context is of what he's talking about. And so what I want to do in about two minutes, give you a very, very, very brief history of Israel. Okay, now I'm not really going to follow that picture, but if you're, um, if I'm struggling to follow me, you can just look at, follow the picture. Okay, I'm going to try really hard, because it's a whole, like, thousands of years of history in about two minutes. And it all starts with a guy called Abraham, who God calls and God chooses to say, from you, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation of your, of your descendants and they are going to be my people. And that is what, what happens. His family grows, it gets bigger. They end up in, a, in, uh, in Egypt and once they're there, they continue to grow and then they get made slaves and they, they have, they're slaves for the Egyptians. And when they're there, God then raises up Moses to come and lead the people and God sets them free from the slavery of the Egyptians through doing many mighty miracles and he leads them uh, through the Red Sea and he takes them towards a promised land. And on the way, he gives them the law. And the law basically said, look, if you follow me, I will look after you, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. And that's what God gives, gives to Moses and to the people, and says, follow me. And he takes them into the promised land, and they conquer it. And he, what God asked the people to do is to go and to not just conquer all the nations, but to go and to wipe them out and to destroy them and completely eradicate them. Now, you might think that's quite extreme, but there was a reason for that, that God wanted them to do it. And then if you follow Israel's history, you see it kind of goes ups and ups and downs. And that where the people and the kings and the leaders follow God, God looks after the people. But when they go away from him, things get bad. And it kind of starts with a kind of upward curve and it leads to King David and Solomon and they build up the great Jerusalem and they build this beautiful temple where God comes and lives. And it's their place of worship where they can come and meet with God. But as time goes on, the people start going more and more away from God. And to the point that God has enough of it and he lets them get captured and taken away into, uh, into captivity and they go to uh, a place called Babylon, which is kind of modern day Iraq. And what happens to Jerusalem in the temple? It gets completely razed to the ground. And so there's nothing left of it. There's no stone on top of another stone. And this place that where they come to God and they meet with him is gone. And they're completely cut off. And off they go uh, into captivity for 70 years. 
And after 70 years, God allows a remnant to go back to Jerusalem. And it's interesting, I think millions of people got captured, and only about 500,000 uh, people went back. And, and they're there, and they start to rebuild the temple and Jerusalem. And about 50 years later, Ezra comes into the picture. And he comes from, uh, from Babylon, or from Persia at that time, and he comes back, and he's a priest. And his role as the leader there is to, is to restart the priestly worship of God. Okay. And this is where we get to in, into chapter 9. Is that he gets there, and he's been there for a few months, and he started up all the things they should be doing. And so, you can start reading with me. You can follow on the screen. Uh, it's it's chapter, uh, Ezra chapter 9, verse 1. When these things had been done, the Jewish leaders came to me and said, Many of the people of Israel, and even some of the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the other people living in the land. They have taken up the detestable practices of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Prezerites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For the men of Israel have married women from these people and have taken them as wives for their sons. So the holy race has become polluted by these mixed marriages. Worse yet, the leaders and officials have led the way in this outrage. So here, we see this nation of Israel that God has restored from captivity has come back and they are sinning again. They're at it again. God had said to them, don't go and marry the other people. Don't get involved with those people. And you'll notice that these, these people that he lists here are all the nations that God had told them to go and destroy. And they wish they hadn't. And here they are, hundred years later, still causing problems for them. And you see this sin had affected the whole nation. It wasn't just some little group, some little on the outskirts, on the fringes, that started to marry the others, it had been through the whole people, right up to the leaders and to the priests. And so what, is Ezra's, what, is, what does Ezra do of this great sin that Israel had, had done once again? And when I heard this, I tore my cloak and my shirt, I pulled the hair from my head and my beard, and sat down, utterly shocked. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel came and sat with me because of this outrage committed by the returned exiles. And I sat there utterly appalled until the time of the evening sacrifice. See, Ezra, on hearing this, what is his response? He says, I'm utterly, you see, he was utterly appalled. And he gets his shirt and he rips it. And he rips his clothes and he pulls out his hair and pulls out his beard. And he causes this great spectacle. And he's in the temple when this happens. You think, what must have been people's reaction? What must have, when they kind of they saw Ezra doing this? I mean, what would you think if one of us leaders got up here and we started to rip our clothes and pull our hair out and pull our beard out? I'll be honest, you probably wouldn't notice if I pulled my beard out. Um, you'd probably think, what's going on? What's going on? The people, the people who love God came and they sat down. And he, and Ezra comes and sits before the people just in utter shame. Because when um, you rip your clothes, it was a sign of humility. And God gets before God in complete humbleness and, just, and, and sits there. And it says he sat, sat there for the rest of the day in silence. And then at the time of the sacrifice, so in the evening, I stood up from where I'd sat in mourning with my clothes torn. I fell to my knees and lifted my hands to my God. That was his response when he heard the sin. He, he humbled himself. He pulled out his hair 
And he got down his knees and lifted his hands to God. And he prays. And this, as he shows a repentant heart, and this is what we're going to look through. Oh my God, I am utterly ashamed. I blush to lift up my face to you, for our sins are piled higher than our heads, and our guilt has reached the heavens. From the days of our ancestors until now, we have been steeped in sin. That is why we and our kings and our priests have been at the mercy of the pagan kings of the land. We have been killed, captured, robbed and disgraced, just as we are today. It was Ezra's first response. He comes and he confesses the sin. Confesses the sin of the people. And you notice how what he doesn't do, he doesn't get up there and say, Lord, look at the sin of the people over there. Aren't they horrible people? Aren't they wretched? Oh Lord, will you come and deal with them? He comes and he takes responsibility for the people. And he says, and he lifts up and says, Lord, look at our sin. It is piled high. We can't even see you because our sin is so big and our, and our guilt is so great. He comes and he takes responsibility for the nations. And he talks through that what has been the result of our sin, what's led our nation to be destroyed, led us, led us to be taken out of our promised land and our temple destroyed. And, we've been, and you see, he takes and he's honest with God and says, look, it's not just one or two people or it happened once or twice. It's our nation. We have been um, steeped in sin throughout a whole time. Lord. And he admits that he and the people are wretched. And this is the challenge for us when it comes to, our, when it comes to God and confessing our sins. Are we honest with him? Are we honest about who we really like? Are we honest at the sins that we, we struggle with and the sins that we have to, um, we are going through? Or do we try and hide it and pretend that we are, are great Christians and everything's okay? He says in 1 John that if we say we have no sin or they'll say that we don't sin, then we're only fools. And God wants us to have this repentant heart that comes to him and is honest and, and cries out to him and say, God... I'm a wretched being. I am a sinner. I'm unclean. I'm, I'm terrible. My sin is piled high to the sky. And I need you, Lord. That's what Ezra does. And that is what we need to do. And I want to share with you something that I struggle with. A sin that I, um, I am uh, struggling to go with at the moment. And it might seem a bit strange. You might be a bit surprised. I struggle with gossiping. Now before you think, hang a sec... I don't struggle with gossip, this is at work, I should say. So it's not that I gossip about people's kind of personal lives, but I gossip about people's work lives. And it's particularly there's one person that I find quite difficult, who I find quite difficult to work with. And I've had some, uh, some issues with him over in the past. And do you know what happens? Is that really, at any, mo at any point I get the opportunity to kind of stick the knife in, I do. I'll be chatting to someone at work and we'll talk about some work stuff and the conversation will come around to this person and it turns out quite a few people find him quite difficult to work with. And so you start having a moan about this person. Oh, have you heard what they've done? Or do you see what they did? Blah, blah, blah. And you start kind of getting the nice in you kind of think, yeah, it's great. And this is how bad I am at this sin, right? I was preparing this week and I thought, this is what I need to share with you. And it's on Tuesday night. I was thinking about this. And guess what happened on Wednesday morning? 
I had a meeting with somebody, we started talking about work stuff, and of course what happened, the conversation came around to this person again, and what did I do? Yeah, I resisted, I, re I resisted for a little bit, I thought, come on, and then, I, and then I gave in. And I was like, oh, have you heard about this, heard about that? And I'm terrible. But the thing is, if I'm trying to look, if I come before you guys and say, oh, what a great Christian I am, I never have any problems like this. I'm, I'm fooling myself. Because you see, I can hide it from you guys, because none, none of you work with me. But I can't hide it from God. And we need to be people who are honest about our sins. We need to be honest in confessing them, admitting what we're really like, just like Ezra did. Well, what is the next part of his prayer? How does he go on? But now, we have been given a brief moment of grace. For the Lord our God has allowed a few of us to survive as a remnant. He's given us security in this holy place. Our God has brightened our eyes and granted us some relief from our slavery. For we were slaves, but in his unfailing love, our God did not abandon us in our slavery. Instead, he caused the king of Persia to treat us favorably. He revived us so we could rebuild the temple of our God, repair its ruin, and he has given us protective wall in Judah and Jerusalem. Where does Ezra go next? He remembers God. He remembers his goodness. He remembers his love. He remembers his mercy and his grace poured, about, poured out upon the people of Israel. How God, even though they had been the people who have been full of sin and God had taken them away, God had brought them back and allowed them to come back to the promised land, to come back to rebuild the temple of the Lord and to come and start worshipping again. And that he had granted them favour and grace. And this is what we need to do. Is that when we come and confess our sins, we mustn't stay there. We've got to remember who our God is. We've got to be looking to him and to look at his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his love poured out. And you see, we're in a, we're in a situation where we're a hundred times better than Ezra and the people of Israel because we know Jesus and we know his cross and the power of his cross. And we've been singing and we've been praying about this morning that God's, through what he's done on the cross, is able to come break the sin and take it away. And that is a great place for us to be. Because again, uh, in 1 John, it says, if we confess our sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Amen. doesn't matter what sin you've, where you're up to, what sin you're going through. If we come to the cross, if we come to Jesus and to remember God's goodness, he can forgive us. He can come and make us clean again. Amen. As you see, if we get stuck in that, first, in that first stage of just confessing our sins and not looking to God, the Bible says this is earthly sorrow. And it said earthly sorrow will lead to death. Because where can you go? You might change yourself on the outside. You might be a really good person. But you can't change your who you're like on the inside. You can't deal with your sin. You don't have that power. Only Jesus does. And so if you just look into yourself to, to save yourselves, you're just going to end up depressed. And you're going to go, you're, there's nowhere to go but downwards. Where, it's, where the Bible says that godly sorrow, sorrow of where we confess our sins and look to God, it says it leads to life. It leads to joy. It leads to peace because we can give it to God or we can know that he cleanses and frees us from all our sin. Amen. We need to remember who God is and what he's done for us. Ezra goes on. And now, O oh our God, 
what can we say after all of this? For once again we have abandoned your commands. Your servants, the prophets, warned us when they said, the land you are entering to possess is totally defiled by the detestable practice of the people living there. From one end to the other, the land is filled with corruption. Don't let your daughters marry their sons, and don't take their daughters as wives for your sons. Don't ever promote the peace and prosperity of these nations. If you follow these instructions, you will be strong, and you will enjoy the good things the land produces, and you will leave this prosperity to your children forever. So what's Ezra doing here? He is remembering that the people of Israel have ignored God's commands. God had given the law, and he had gave them his way of living. And one of the things that he had said is don't get involved with the people of the land because they'll only lead you astray. And if you start marrying them and start getting involved with them, then you're going to start getting involved with their gods and their idols, and that is going to lead you away from me. What was God's number one command to the people of Israel? What was the first commandment? No, it was, you shall have no other gods but me. That's what Jesus said. But it can be summed up. Good pattern. But God said, you shall have no other gods but me. And of course, what did the Israelites do? They started to, they, um, the first thing they did, they didn't get rid of those people, of the, uh, those other nations. They didn't completely destroy them. And that led to them getting involved with these people. And it led to them start sinning and to start worshipping other gods and going away from God. And, God had complete, and, and, and Ezra is remembering that God had sent his prophets again and again and again to the people to say, turn away, come back to God. And you can enjoy all the promises and the goodness of God, but the people haven't. They didn't. They went away and they've lost out on the promises. You see, there's a challenge for us is are we following God's way for our life? Because we can look at the Israelites and think, oh, how stupid are they? They can look at their history and seen what was going to happen, and yet they never learned. And we could be like this, because God can give us commands for our lives, things to, to do or to not do, or things to, to get involved and not get involved with, and we don't. And how often... Is that the case? Well, we don't do what God asks us to do and then, we, then it ends up us sinning and, and making mistakes. I mean, you look at the King David um, with his massive sin with Bathsheba. What was, what was the start of that chapter says? At the time um, that the kings go to war, David stayed at home. And that was his mistake that he did. He didn't go off and do what he should have done and it led to him sinning. And we need to be people who are following God's commands for our life. And it says um, in Galatians chapter 5 that we need to, if we walk in the Spirit, if we walk with God, then we won't fulfill the lusts of our flesh. And what that means is if we follow God and, and, and set ourselves on, on doing what he wants for our lives, then we find that, we, that sin is going to be much less of a problem for us and we're going to be able to overcome it. And this is something difficult at times for us. But we need to be remembering that we need to walk in his Spirit. And the other thing we need to be doing is we need to make sure that we are dealing with our sin. And how often do we think, oh, it's all right, I've got that under control, I don't need God's help. I can deal with this sin. You kind of try to, to box it up and put it in the corner and say, it's okay, it can live there, it's okay. Because the reason why God wanted all the nations destroyed, it wasn't that he's some horrible God that hates people, it was because those nations represented sin. 
And God wanted the Israelites to get rid of them and completely destroy them so they weren't a problem. And that's what God wants to do in our life, to come and completely deal with our sin and destroy it and take it away and get rid of it. Because you see, if we think that we can deal with our sin, we're, we are fooling ourselves. Because sin, you've got to imagine, think of sin as being as big, as, um, like this big rabid beast that is out to kind of get us. And if we don't deal with it, and don't let, sorry, don't let God come and deal with it, then we, and we kind of wonder, why do we keep getting bitten by this beast? Because um, if you've got a rabid dog, the thing you need to do is go and put it down. And that's what we need to do with sin. We can't sort of think of it as, thinking, oh, it's just some nice little puppy that we can kind of live with it in the corner and it's okay. Sin's not like that. We have to let God come and deal with it. We can't control it. It's this beast that is going to keep getting us. We must <coughs> be people who are remembering God's commands for our life, whatever they are. And how does Ezra finish his, pr- his prayer? He says this. <coughs> now we are being punished because of our wickedness and our great guilt. But we have actually been punished far less than we deserve. For you, our God, have allowed some of us to survive as a remnant. But even so, we are again breaking your commands and intermarrying with the people who do these detestable things. Won't your anger be enough to destroy us so that even this little remnant no longer survives? O Lord, God of Israel, you are just. We come before you in our guilt as nothing but an escaped remnant, though in such conditions none of us can stand in your presence. Ezra finishes his prayer by coming before God and admitting that him and the people are unworthy of God. They're admitting that unworthiness to stand before him. And this is what a repentant heart is going to lead to with us. A place, not where we're um, beating ourselves up, but admitting that we are unworthy of God. It's only, we're only here. We only know the, the joy and the grace of God, because, not because of anything we have done, but all because of what God has done. And without him, we are unworthy of all of this. And you see, Ezra was admitting that the people didn't deserve God. They didn't deserve his blessings and his grace upon them to bring them back and to keep them safe and not to destroy them. And he's saying, look, none of us can stand in your presence. And the truth is that none of us before God, without Jesus, can stand in his presence. And it's so easy for some of us to start to think that actually we're okay, we're pretty good, and that we're okay. And we've got to remember that we're not, without Jesus, we are nothing. And this is the challenge for us as a church, is what is our attitude to those who sin, those who slip up and make a mistake and are struggling with things, what is our attitude do we say, that's it, get out. That's it, Simon, you've, we've had enough of you. you. You've done that sin one too many times. Get out of this church. You're excommunicated. Or is it, we sit there and think, oh, that Pete. I always knew there was something wrong about him. I knew he didn't really love God very well. Or you could, I could see something wrong with him. That's why he's sinning. Or is it that we say, oh, it's okay, Rennie, we still love you. But do you mind just going and sitting in the kind of naughty corner at the back where the sinners sit? Because we can sometimes, well, we might laugh, but sometimes that could be our heart. They're thinking, oh, we can kind of look down on people. But the truth is, the Bible teaches us that, that we've got to um, treat these people in love and in grace. Because it could have just as easily been us that slipped up. And at times, we're all going to slip up, we're all going to make mistakes. And the Bible calls us to come 
and to stand with people and to love them and to put our arm around them and to pray and to, and to pray for them to say, and to say, don't worry, brother, I'm standing with you. Don't worry, sister, I'm praying for you. Because that is the challenge for our heart, sorry, for our church. If we have a repentant heart, this is what we'll be doing. I, I read a great story about Billy Graham this week. Now, um, a while back, there was this, this TV evangelist who was this big guy that was quite big in America. And he had this great big ministry on TV and everything. And anyway, it turned out he'd basically been stealing money from people. And he got caught, and he got convicted, and he got sent to prison. And you can imagine what happened to someone like, to someone like um, you can imagine what happened. That people just, he probably got kicked out of his church, his wife wanted to get rid of him. Loads of people turned their backs on him. And he was in this great disgrace. You think the shame and, and, and the guilt you think of that he must have been going through. And your whole life is broken down. All your ministry gone. And he, and he was sent off to prison. And he said he was doing there for a few days. He'd been really ill. And he looked terrible. And he said he'd just been um, clean, finishing cleaning the toilets. And he gets this call that says, you've got, a, this, you've got a visitor. And so he no idea who it was. So he turns up and he says he was looking terrible. As I said, he'd just come out for cleaning the toilets. And there was Billy Graham. Oh, what does Billy Graham go and do? He walks up to him and gives him this massive hug. And, and encourages him. And throughout the time in prison, the Grahams go and see him and minister to him. And when he gets out of prison, within a day or two, they've invited him to their church. And what do they do? They don't kind of hide him in the corner. They bring him to the front and they sit him with the family. And they invite him back after, after church for dinner. And the family loves and cares for him. And they give him money and they give him clothes and they help him out. And I read that and I was just, wow. That is God's heart for people when we fall over. Uh, but when we sin, it's to put his arm around us. I mean, Terry was praying about the prodigal son. And what happens to the father? He doesn't come and points his finger at the son and says, what did you do? He comes and puts his arms around him, goes and gives him a massive hug. And this is the challenge for our church, of when people f- slip up and make mistakes, do we put our arm around them? Or do we do something else? We need to be people who have repentant hearts, because the truth is, without God, we're just like everybody else. We're unworthy. And it's only by his grace and by his love and his mercy that we can stand and we can be, be free. So this is Ezra's prayer. that He prays to the people. So what happens next? What is the reaction? While Ezra prayed and made his confession, weeping and lying face down on the ground in front of the temple, you see that he'd gone from on his knees to on his face crying through this prayer. It says... Um, a very large crowd of people from Israel, men, women and children, gathered and wept bitterly with him. You see, his, his prayer of repentance um, causes a reaction, causes people to come and to come before God and to appreciate um, where they are at. And it says next, now you have to excuse me for getting, for getting his names wrong. Then Sherekaniah, son of Jehu, a descendant of Elam, said to Ezra, we have been unfaithful to our God, for we have married his pagan women of the land. But in spite of this, there is hope for Israel. Let us now make a covenant with our God to divorce our pagan wives and to send them away with their children. We will follow the advice given to you and by the others who respect the commands of our God. Let it be done according to the law of God. You see, his prayer of repentance caused people to action. It caused them, it brings them to a place of confession to remembering God's goodness, to a place of where they realise they need to get right with him. 
and it calls them to action. And you see, they make a change. They say, right, we've made a mistake, but we're going to come and sort it out. We're going to come and divorce our wives and send it away, send them away, in order that we can get right with God. And the truth is, if you've got sin in your life that you need to deal with, it is going to be difficult to get rid of. Don't ever think it's going to be easy. And there are things in your life that God is going to ask you to, to stop doing or to, or to change that you are going to love. Because you imagine, for these Israelite men, I'm sure they loved their wives and their children. Because they weren't just living them for a few months, they'd been living them for years. And they said, no, we want God more than we want our lives. And, said, and, they, and they made a decision, if you read the rest of chapter 10, they, they do this and they get rid of them and they get themselves right back with God. And this is what God is looking for with us. That we are prepared to put him before everything else in our lives. To say, well, I might really love doing that thing, but I'm going to stop doing it. And I might really enjoy having a go at this guy at work, but I know I need to stop doing it. I need to be different. I need to put that aside. And we need to let God come and take the axe to our sin. To come and to deal with it. To let him come and take it away. I mean, it might take time, and as I said, it'll be difficult, but, I, but we know for the promises of God that if we do this, God will, will, will take it away and deal with us if we let him. And that is the heart, this is really the heart of repentance, is that we come to God, and not that we are people that are living in fear, and that we're so worried about making a mistake, that, we don't, that we're worried about whether we're going to buy the right toothpaste or not. That God doesn't want that. God wants us to be people who have this heart that says, well, I'm going to follow God, I'm going to do what he wants, and yes, I'm going to make mistakes, I'm going to mess up, but he doesn't. I'm going to give this to God, and I'm going to let him deal with things, and I'm going to give things to him. When God shines his light on stuff, it's going to be difficult, it's going to be hard, but I'm going to let it go, and let God come and deal with me. And I really want to finish this morning by firstly apologising. I've not really been very practical this morning. And it's partly because I think God just, he wants us to have this heart. It's about where we, it's about us getting our hearts right with him and getting the right um, heart of repentance. But I would say this, that if there's something you know that you are struggling with and you're dealing with, share it with a friend. The Bible encourages us to do this, to go and to confess with somebody, somebody you know, somebody you, you love, somebody you trust. You know that's going to put your arm around you and say, it's okay, I'm standing with you. I'm praying with you. I'm loving you. I'm going to help you through this. And I would encourage you this morning, if, that's, um, if you're struggling with something, to go and find somebody. Now, I know um, we were encouraged a few months back as men to do this. And I know there's something that I've kind of struggled with off and on. And the Lord told me to go and share it with somebody and to get them to pray with me. And for whatever reasons, I've not done that. And I know I've had to come to God and say, and through, through um, preparing this, I know this is something I need to do. That I need to make the time and make the effort to go and meet with, the, um, with somebody and to share with them what I'm going through and to get them to pray with me and to stand with me. So I encourage you, that that's, if you need to do that, to go and do it. And really the challenge for us as a church is what is our heart like? Is it hard? Is it cold? Is it proud? Or is it loving like God's heart? Is it full of repentance that is looking to go on with God? And when, um, and when we sin, we're bringing it to God and we're letting him deal with it, remembering the cross. Or, or is it 
said is it kind of forget those things are we just kind of living on and just pretending that everything's okay and we're doing great and it might be that this morning you are doing great you're in a really great place the Lord you're going on and God is dealing with you and I want to encourage you this morning just to keep going keep going in that. don't let yourself get proud or get hard and say that's it I'm, I'm there I'm done because we'll never be done and it might be this morning you have got some sin that you need to deal with and, and I know we had a time of worship of where, where God was speaking and talking about this. And it might be you, that God has put his finger on something and says, I want you to deal with this before you can go on with me. And I want to encourage you this morning to let God come and deal with it. It's only through his power and through the power of the cross that you'll be free of it. Amen. And if you try and deal with it yourself or try and cover it up and pretend it doesn't exist, you'll get nowhere. You'll just keep going around in circles. Finally, I want to just encourage, it might be that you are in this place of where you know that you're sinning and you know you're struggling but you are forgetting about God. You're forgetting the power of the cross and his love and his grace and his mercy. But I want to encourage you to, to pick up some godly sorrow and to turn to God and to lift your eyes to him, the giver of life as we've sung this morning, and to come and to not be depressed about who you're like, but to come and lift it to God and know that you could be free of these things. Amen. Now we're going to respond now. We're going to have a, a few moments of silence where there's something you know that you need to deal with or you to pray about or you lift up to God. This is your chance to do this. And then we're going to have a song. Um, and then after that, we're going to, we're going to finish it. We're going to kind of, um, we'll see what happens. But after the meeting... If you know you need to go and speak to somebody, I'm around, I know Pat and Simon and, and lots of others are around, but I'd encourage you to go and find somebody and go and just share with them and to, and to get them to pray with you. I think that's such a, it's a good idea to do. So, Amen, let's just have a moment or two of silence. We let God's word come and speak to your heart. You know, if you're saying you, God's put his finger on something this morning, and don't just ignore it and think, oh, I'll deal with it tomorrow. Come and deal with it right now.